This episode of Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by NightChannels.com, the only place on the internet to get that darker side for your t-shirts and hoodies. These are amazing, unique t-shirts and hoodie designs for occult, music, literature, and films. Of course, they got loads of amazing horror t-shirts. There's this Texas Chainsaw one that you gotta have. They got Alien, but they also got these deep cuts like Begotten. You know Begotten, right? Because you're a hardcore horror fan like I am, or Guinea Pig. It's like that across the entire site for their music, for the anime, for other kind of media categories. Such cool designs that you're not going to find anywhere else. Go on there. There's no way you're not going to get a t-shirt or hoodie. I guarantee you. Tons of color options. The t-shirts have two fabric options. Classic 90s style, which is Gildan, or that great modern combed cotton Bella option. And the best part about all this, these are one-of-a-kind designs, and all of it has really great competitive prices. In fact, if you go there right now and you enter the code RewindAt checkout, you get 13% off. That's right, 13% off at checkout if you let them know that Rewind of the Living Dead sent you. Uh, so when you're at the next convention or concert and someone asks, where'd you get that shirt? The only answer is at nightchannels.com. And be sure to visit them on Instagram at nightchannels as well. Um, that's N-I-G-H-T channels.com. Uh, and be sure at checkout to enter the code rewind to get your 13% off. Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. Kevin Williamson, best known as the screenwriter behind the original Scream, as well as films such as I Know What You Did Last Summer and The Faculty, was looking for a setting for a new slasher movie, but he wasn't sure if tackling a subject as serious as the COVID-19 global pandemic was something that he should explore. Previous attempts to set films during the pandemic had largely failed, but he was inspired by other genre filmmakers like Jordan Peele, who have used movies to tackle hard-hitting issues while still making a truly compelling story. Williamson timed his story for April 2020, which was just after the global pandemic really took hold, and he kept his film small, yet continued to look for ways to ratchet up the tension at every turn. The plot centered around a pair of college friends who decide to quarantine at a family lake house far away from the city, but they soon discover that being isolated doesn't mean that they're actually alone after a mass killer begins stalking them. In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to put on our masks and spray down everything with Lysol as we review the 2023 slasher film, Sick. And I'm Patrick Guerra. And Patrick, we are back for the attack with another new film in 2023 with Kevin Williamson's Sick. Mm, sick. Speaking <laughs> of sick, bro, how sick is it that we're on YouTube now? I know, right? <laughs> we're actually on YouTube. I know. Listen, before anyone says it, I know I have a face built for radio. Okay, I'm just telling you ahead of time. But this is a horror movie podcast. So if I scare you a little bit, that's probably good. Uh, I mean, we are that's on, the point. We are on YouTube officially. We have uploaded a couple episodes. Every new episode will now be going on YouTube, but we will be uploading past episodes. Uh, will not be video and meaning you won't see Patrick or I, but you will hear the podcast because this is something new we're doing. So the video will be of the new episodes. The old episodes will be uh, just the audio with, you know, you'll still be able to listen to them, but you just won't see our wonderful faces. You know what we need, Damon? We need ourselves a YouTube producer. I know you got buddies out there that are that that are very skilled at all this uh, that that need to uh, 
basically uh, upload our mugs to YouTube so everyone can can get us in the in the full horror glory. I, you, you know what I feel like we a, need? I feel like, you know what I feel like we need? I feel like we need to find someone who's got way too much time on their hands and yes. they want to take past episodes and go full Phil Tippett and just make animated versions of us. <laughs> And do like animated versions of the podcast with like stop motion animation. Wouldn't oh, that be awesome? That would be fantastic. Just just full on rewind of the living dead meets mad god and and just just go super weird with it. I, I want to see myself as a some sort of a claymation thing at some point. You know, I rewatched uh, a movie the other night. I was I was looking for something to watch and I was kind of in the mood to watch a classic and I hadn't watched it in years. So I sat down and rewatched Evil Dead 2 because we reviewed, we talked, we did our reaction to the Evil Dead Rise uh, trailer, which now comes out. The movie comes out in April. And I hadn't watched Evil Dead 2 in a lot of years. I've seen it multiple times, but it had been at least 15 years since I watched this movie. And I'm not going to sit here and go into a full Evil Dead review, Evil Dead 2 review. But I had kind of forgotten about how much like stop motion animation and things were in those movies. Like, And it was kind of funny to me because... It reminded me because I know you watched the, the that movie by Phil Tippett, the one that's on Shutter right now. It is mm-hmm. is, it, is it called Mad God? Is that what's called? Mad God, yes. Mad God, and it reminded me like because that was one of the biggest um, moments of those films with the stop motion animation and things like that they use. It was just fun to watch it and see it and like again, I hadn't seen the movie in like 15 years, maybe longer. It may have been longer since I'd seen Evil Dead 2, but it was just funny to rewatch it, uh, not necessarily under a critical eye, as we always say on this show, but just to kind of watch it and like kind of relive it for the first time. And it was just fun. And uh, seeing some of the stop motion animation was cracking me up in that film. Like just like, you know, purpose, purposely bad. You have to imagine, but also, you know, budget restraints and things like that. But I kind of started to understand a little bit more of the attraction to evil dead too, even though I'm the guy who has constantly said, I don't like ironically funny movies. I don't like movies that are so bad. Everyone thinks they're hilarious. Right. Um, I came around a little bit on Evil Dead 2 this time around, but the stop motion animation made me think of that. So, yeah, we got any stop motion animation people out there who want to spend, you know, way too much of your free time (laughs) animating our past episodes. I'm all for it. We're going to get a note like, hey, can you cut the episodes down to like 20 minutes? Jesus (laughs) Christ, you guys are long winded. Yeah. But I feel like there's there's a puppeteer somewhere out there who could just have has way too much time on their hands. They want to make some really weird uh really weird videos for youtube and that's a good way to get out there but until then we will have audio from past episodes going up until we find our own phil tippett who will be willing to stop motion animate us into uh, into that form uh but we are on youtube now it is just youtube.com uh, at rewind of the living dead easy to find us that's our name easy enough yep Very you know easy. us and you love us and some of you are have been begging us to be on youtube for almost three years now so now we are you should it should it should speak to the <laughs> i i consider myself a very technologically savvy person i am like very i'm you know i have the inside of a macbook pro tattooed on my arm i'm way into technology but as we as much as i am into technology i just i was completely unaware how big podca- podcasting was on youtube i didn't realize like how huge it was like it's the number one format for podcasts like it's bigger than spotify it's bigger than apple Podcasts. like people i just i always equate youtube to video and like it doesn't click in my head that people would just go there to listen you know to a podcast but yeah it's huge and so it took us almost four years to get on there but we're finally on there (laughs) yes i would just we needed to buy time and we have very little of it yeah 
Better late than never. That's what we say around here. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so the new movie Sick is open. It's on Peacock right now. It was a movie I mentioned in our best of 2020 show. We looked ahead at 2023 and I said one of the movies I was most looking forward to this year was this one because I'm a big Kevin Williamson fan. Of course, Scream is one of my favorite horror franchises. I love I Know What You Did Last Summer. I love The Faculty. Um, I love a lot of his work. And so I was real excited, and it, and it debuted last year at the Toronto International Film Festival. It got really solid reviews. I saw it on a couple of the horror sites I visit, including Bloody Disgusting. They gave reviews, but then it hadn't, it hadn't secured a distributor. So I wasn't sure when we were going to see it. Like, I had no idea. And then literally, like a week after our show debuted, I saw that Blumhouse had picked it up and it was going to debut on Peacock as part of that deal with they have with Peacock. And so I was like, oh, wow. And so it came out much faster than I thought it would. I figured it would be months before I would actually set eyes on this film. Um, and it dropped. And it's weird because Kevin, you would think Kevin Williamson is a big enough name in the industry that where he wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't say struggle, but like to where he wouldn't be like, debuting films without studio help or whatever it's kind of weird because he's such a, a well-known commodity in the horror community i was kind of surprised by that i have a theory why this movie had a trouble finding a home okay i think it has a little bit of an agenda that's not terribly popular <sighs> maybe i can see where you're going i can see where you're going with that and i yeah. will say i will say this the, to, as we teased in the intro if you haven't seen sick it takes place at the very start of the global pandemic, April 2020. March is when everything kind of went haywire. April is when this film takes place in 2020. And I'm telling you what, there were so many moments there. This is not a spoiler, but just to be clear, there's a moment that takes place early in this movie where a character goes to a grocery store and they're out of everything. And like people are fighting for the last box of tissues and like all it gave me PTSD. I'm not kidding. Cause I remember that at the beginning of the pandemic, like when you couldn't buy toilet paper yeah. and like people were buying, like hoarding, you know, supplies that didn't need to be hoarded, but we were all in that mode of like, Oh my God, you know, we got to buy everything in the store. It, yeah, I'm not kidding. Like I was feeling like trauma in that moment. I was like, Oh my, this is too soon. This is too real. Cause I like, it feels it was two years, it's almost three years ago at this point, but it feels a lifetime ago. Like it feels so long yeah. ago. But when I when I saw it in the movie, boy, did it snap me right back into what it was like in that in that time and period when things were locking down and you're going to stores, and you can't find any. Like I was I was seriously feeling trauma watching this. I was like, oh, no, no, not again. Not again. <laughs> it's not fun to revisit these things. It, and it, and the, the wounds are still fresh. It's still going on. It's still happening out there. Um, there are still shelves that are like not fully stocked. It's that eggs at, as we speak are, are a rich man's game right now. If you, yeah. if you got eggs in your house, you're clearly doing well. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's a bit of messaging in this movie and may, and it's not like super strong, but, I, but if you're like myself and, and Damon, you really, you have a kind of your mind tuned to what these stories are trying to say. Uh, I think this story was kind of trying to say that everybody was being a little overreactive, I think. Uh, like, it sort of, it, it seemed to me that, A, uh, the perspective of either Kevin Williamson or, or the directors and producers, I mean, Kevin, Kevin wrote it, so it seemed like a little bit of his perspective was like, if you freaked out about COVID, you're kind of a, not an idiot, but maybe like you just, I mean, maybe he was thinking that. It kind of came across that way. 
Like if, if you think you needed to wear a mask and if you think you needed a distance, you're just kind of being obnoxious. I think obnoxious is more what his angle was, which, you know, okay, that's, that's different than saying idiot, but th- that seemed to be in there. That seemed to be kind of laced into uh, anything that was COVID related. Now, the second problem with that is that once I really got through sick, COVID didn't really matter to the story, except for, I guess, the end, right, which we will get to in spoilers. I think you could have reworked this movie any other way. I don't think you needed to use COVID as your setting, as your backdrop. They decided to do it, okay? And maybe I'm reading into it because that's basically what I do for Ryan and the Living Dead is I read into movies. It's, it's what I do. And so I just read into it as like, well, it seemed like you only wanted to include that stuff to either A, make silly, make vilify, or make people who cared about being uh, cautious during the pandemic look obnoxious and idiotic. So I'll, I'll agree and disagree with what you said there, because one, I do believe that setting it during the global, the COVID-19 pandemic made sense for this film because it was a very relevant thing that happened in our recent history and ignoring it, you know, a lot of like, when you watch a lot of TV shows or movies, they just don't, they act like it never happened because a lot of people enjoy the escapism, right? Like we don't want to go to the theater and just be reminded of what we've just lived through, right? Like we're, or we're living through currently, like in when it was really in the grips of the pandemic in, in 2020. Um, so a lot of TV shows and movies just, just acted like it never happened. And then you get other shows like medical dramas who did address it, right? Because it wasn't serious. I mean, it's a serious pandemic. Million, you know, millions of people died. Um, so they did address it. So it's a weird balancing act. So I think addressing it and using it as a backdrop for this movie made sense, especially with the ending. When you say, except for the ending, I say, especially with the ending, because when we get to that point, you'll, if, if you haven't seen it or, or you have seen it and you're waiting for us to get into spoilers, you'll, you'll know what we're talking about of why it was there. The other thing about like kind of almost mocking the situation a little bit, when you talk about that here, I, I saw another movie recently um, and God, I'm just, I'm completely blanking on the title. I feel terrible not remembering the title. I, I'd watched it. I mentioned to you, I was watching this new movie that I'd heard about and I, oh, it was, um, uh, oh God, why, what is it called? What is it called? Um, the Harbinger, the Harbinger, oh, Okay. new movie called the Harbinger. And it also takes place in the pandemic. And it's about a woman who's having these really, really vivid nightmares, and it's almost like there's a creature stalking her dreams. People have said it's kind of like a, a you know a Nightmare on Elm Street sort of film for the you know for 2022 or 2023. And I watched it. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad film. Um, but it also takes place during the pandemic, and they do a lot of the same things in that film in terms of people wearing masks and people kind of being mocked for wearing masks. And, and I don't think they're, I don't think they're necessarily making a statement as much as reminding us of what it was like in that time. There were people who were very serious about it, who were wearing masks everywhere and spraying everything with Lysol and wiping oh, down yeah, everything. Sure. With, and then there's the other people who would open their door and basically tell you to F off. You know, if you, if, you know, if you know, you asked them to put on a mask, there's like a, you know, it was a huge, you know, there was a, a big divide there. <laughs> the, the F off people were not represented in this movie, interestingly enough. But, so in that regard, well, all, to, to, to call, where I, I disagree with you there about they weren't represented, I would say that the movie's so small, it's harder for them to be represented because we're ultimately talking about maybe 10 people in this movie. So I don't think there was as much of an opportunity to do that. But neither here nor there. That movie did it as well, where it was a lot. And it was weird because that film really had nothing to do with the pandemic. It just said it during the pandemic and 
you know, these, these women who were friends in high school, I think, or college, and they got back together and, you know, it was all about the, and the one setting that had a point to that movie was their, the a brother and sister were living at home with their father and their father was ill. And so they were paranoid about bringing home COVID because he was already ill and they were terrified of like getting him sick and dying. And so that was like a backdrop of the movie, but really didn't, it really played no part in the movie. Like when it was over, I was kind of like, why did that need, like, were you just doing it because this was the time you filmed it? And so because of COVID protocols and everyone was being forced to wear masks anyways, or you were wearing masks on set. So you just decided to incorporate it because it made, it really made no impact whatsoever on the film. It was just in there. It was weird too, because it didn't, it, it they had the, they had this one weird character who was like, they're like, I'm not putting on a mask. Like, they had to, and I was just like, why is this here? Like this, this made no point to this movie. Like you could have said it any other time. This had no no impact where I believe sick works is because it, when you get to the overall plot of why this is happening, it actually does play into the plot. And I actually really enjoyed that plot device because it was a little different. It wasn't, it was something that used the pandemic towards the, the a means to an end when, when it came to the plot, like in that way. Now, now to be clear, Patrick, what you're saying is it didn't need to be COVID that you're right. It could have been, you know, yeah, an, could have been could whatever. Have, could have been it, it seemed disease. to be explicitly addressing COVID-19. It was, yeah. it, but to that, but, but, but what I say, when I say it is like, let's just say a disease, whether it's COVID or not, like they sure, actually sure. use that. And that's the, that's where I defend this movie. And also the other reason why I like this movie, where, how they use COVID is, is this is not, just to put it out there, this isn't really a spoiler. It's a slasher, but it's not a supernatural slasher. So this isn't like some super COVID right. monster or anything like that because they've made, there were other attempts to use the pandemic in films. And I mentioned that earlier in the intro and most of them failed spectacularly because they tried to use it as almost like a fear, like a fear inducing kind of thing. Not that you shouldn't be afraid of the pandemic, but almost taking it to that next level. Like there was a movie that came out, um, I think it was called bird song or something like this, where it was like, um, the pandemic was really bad. Like it had killed, you know, half the planet or whatever, something like that. And so it was like a story of that. And I think at that moment it was a, it was a badly, it was a bad idea because people were already paranoid. People were already scared out of their minds and losing loved ones and people were sick and they, they weren't going to get it worse. Right. Like they weren't like, I don't want this to get any worse. So those films kind of failed. Um, this one, I, I agree with what you're saying in principle about like maybe having a bit of an agenda, but it's not so in your face. In my opinion, it's not so in your face that you're going to walk out necessarily in my opinion, feeling one way strongly there. Now, if you were hardcore about the pandemic, meaning you were all about, you know, Lysoling everything and masks, yeah. and you might you might feel one way. If you're on the other side where you're like masks were stupid, we should have never been locked down, and blah blah blah, you might feel another way. So I think it, there's there's gonna be a there's gonna be a certain set of feelings because this is so recent. It oh is. yeah, it's, it's so it's recent. It's like a raw wound that's still open and weeping. Yeah, <laughs> and I do and I do think the ending, which we will get to shortly, I do think the ending is especially making a comment. I think it's like. Look at the lengths that certain types of people will go to. Uh, I, I, in my opinion, now you can argue that it, our main character Parker, played by Gideon Adlin, um, you can argue she kind of fits in the, the other side of it. But I have some thoughts about that. Now that this slasher is like any proper slasher, like a proper Kevin Williamson slasher, is going to be set with a couple of college students, a couple of young people, people in their twenties or so. 
well, people in their 20s or so were the were the like the number one group of people who weren't wearing masks, who were partying hard, who were like hanging out with everybody like actually that demographic, regardless of how you felt about the pandemic, that demo, that early 20s demo was just sort of like, eh, I'll be fine. Like I'm young. I'll, I don't need to I don't really really need to wear a mask and I don't necessarily need to take extra precautions. So I don't even think that part of it necessarily was like agenda driven. It's just like, yeah, if you're going to make any group of people right in the heart of the pandemic be slightly careless, as I think these people, these, these college students were, you might as well make it, you know, that age range. To me, that felt fine. But yeah, it did feel like the ending was sort of saying something about one side and not the other at all. Does it, by the way, does every movie need to be even handed? No, that's fine. If, if, if we're deciding to at least just pick a side for this and like, I think take jabs at them, which I do think it does. Then this movie certainly does that. Um, I, I don't even know if I necessarily agree with the jabs it takes. It's just, it's like, I was like, oh, okay. This is, this seems to be how Kevin Williamson feels about it. And I'm assuming he kind of spearheaded the whole thing. He's the biggest name on the entire project. The The director's done a lot of TV stuff, but uh, not really well known for features or anything like that. Yeah, let me mention real quick. The director behind this movie is a guy named John Hyams, and I was not super familiar with him. He had actually done a couple of installments in the Universal Soldier line, which uh, that's a classic Dolph Lundgren, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Uh, He did a couple installments of that, but the only movie I was familiar with him with was a documentary he did called The Smashing Machine, uh, The Life and Times of Mark Kerr, who is a very famous UFC fighter and a guy I've known, and it actually involved uh, a very, very close friend of mine, Mark the Hammer Coleman, uh, who's a very good, close personal friend of mine. And that documentary is incredible. I mean, it's an incredible yeah. documentary, incredibly powerful documentary. And when I looked him up, I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know he had directed that. So, yeah, that was what I, the only other thing of his I'd really seen. And was a totally Damon connection. It was a great it was a great film. Um, so I wasn't super familiar with him. The, here's what I'll say. Let me, we're talking a lot about the COVID-19 stuff. We're talking a lot about the pandemic, how it does play a central role in this film. And it does. But let me be clear, because there's going to be a lot of people who might listen to this and say, listen, I just got through the pandemic. I don't want to be preached to about the pandemic anymore. And I get it, because as I said, there's a there's a scene in this film where they go to that grocery store. And I was like, oh, this is like flashbacks of what I don't want to remember. That was that was like kind of the most uh, dreadful part of the movie, I think, because it was so real. I think that that felt very genuine and just sort of straightforward, like, oh, God, we've lived through that. That's not fun. (laughs) Yeah. But I will say this when you get. Basically, when these characters, Parker and Mary, end up at this at this lake house and they're trying to basically quarantine there to get away from the city and just kind of like be away from the world and and deal with the start of the pandemic when everything's getting locked down. Once they get there and, and, and the actual slashing, for lack of a better word, begins the middle part of the movie, the two thirds middle part of the movie where you're really getting the action of the slashing and the, you know, stalker trying to kill these girls. Um it doesn't really involve the pandemic. It doesn't involve yeah. It's just, it turns into a classic slasher. And I'm saying that as both, I'm saying that as a compliment to the movie because it takes you out of it. Like, I feel like when you do, when you do deal with subject matter, whether you're talking about like, you know, uh, we're talking about like social commentary or whatever, there are films that do it great. Like get out, which is brilliant. One of the most brilliant films ever. 
And there's other films, and I'm not going to name drop here to make people feel bad, but there's other films where they do it, they bludgeon your head with it, and it just doesn't work. Or they do it to a point where it just loses its effectiveness because you just won't let, you won't do it in an intelligent way to actually make it a, 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 a compelling story, right? What I liked about Sick was that it is central to the plot, and the movie opens that way and it kind of deals with it. But then when you get to like the action part of it, it's just nonstop tension and, you know, cat and mouse game of survival. And you don't really think about it at that moment. And then it does pick up. We'll talk about that in the end. Um, but that's what I enjoyed about it. Meaning that if you don't feel what, if you don't feel one way about the other about the pandemic or you're just tired of the pandemic and I get it, we've lived through it for a couple of years and it's, you know, it's not really over, over. I mean, yeah. it's not, you know, I said we at least got another year and a half. Probably. Yeah. We're not over, <laughs> over it. Um, and you just don't want to, you don't want to think about it. I get it. I, I trust me. I'm all fine. I understand escapism. I 100%, but this film to me doesn't do it in a way to where, um, it just, it, it's un when it's over and it's uncomfortable and I'm just like, God, I wish I hadn't watched that movie. Like, you know, cause there's just too much, you know, too much, whatever it is. Um, to me, that's how I took it. Like it, it uses it. It's a plot device, but it's not to the point where it's so in your face for the majority of the movie to where it ruins it. Or you could just tell that there's just a message they're trying to get across and they lose the point of the actual movie. The middle section of the movie, if you took the middle section of this movie and just made it about, a, a, you know, a, a slasher going after a couple teen girls. You don't need any of the other stuff in there, right? Like it's just a, a classic slasher film. Um, and you can enjoy it for that. I guess is what I'm getting at. You don't have to really focus on the pandemic part of it until the beginning and the end. Now, again, the actual plot device of why this is happening does play back into that, but the middle section when it's just cat and mouse survival is really well done and feels like a classic Kevin Williamson. You know, feels very scream. I know what you did last summer. It has that vibe to it, in my opinion. I think we should open up the spoiler section now, just so I can, I actually do want to talk about what you said, but it, it, I think it will get into something that we're dealing with in the actual like spoilerish side of the plot. Yeah. Well, let me, before we get there, let me, was there anything you enjoyed about this movie? <laughs> because it seems like in terms of, in terms of the movie itself, cause I, I'll, I'll be honest, like again, before we get to spoilers, and for people who are maybe going to pause this and come back and, you know, maybe after they watch it, I will say overall, I really enjoyed this film. There was a lot of good tension, a lot of good action sets, which I really enjoy, which I think you need in a slasher. If you don't have that, you're kind of missing the point of being in a slasher film. Um, and Kevin Williamson knows how to do that. I mean, maybe better than anybody out there right now, because he's the guy who created Scream and Scream 2. Uh, you know, he created perfect slasher elements in this film. So for that, I really enjoyed it. And again, it was fun to return to a Kevin Williamson film. He hasn't really done you know, one of these kinds of movies in a lot of, in a lot of years. And it was just fun to go back. That's very small movie, you know, very, very, you know, small cast. Uh, but, but I enjoyed it. So I'll ask you, was there anything you enjoyed about the movie, Patrick? I will say that I think, um, the director, uh, John, John Hyams, I think he actually did a really good job of making the, uh, action scenes. Cause it actually, it's kind of like, I mean, it's definitely a slasher, but it's, I guess when in those moments where the, 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 the subjects are dealing with the slasher, it's actually kind of good camera direction and stuff like that. Like I will say that much. Like I, I did enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah. And I am a slasher fan. We all know this. This is my, genre. this is my genre. So, all right. Um, let's get into spoilers. We'll get into categories. We'll get into spoilers now. So if you haven't seen sick, it's currently available over on Peacock. Um, 
again you get my recommendation in terms of watching it and, and checking it out it's a very short movie too it's only about an hour and 20 hour and uh, 23 minutes it's not a long film at all it's a very short movie um so you're not gonna have to invest like three hours to watch this thing a uh, very short movie and again very small cast a total of maybe like seven or eight characters in this whole thing maybe nine uh very small movie so again go check it out it's on peacock so as of right now we're getting into spoilers uh we're going to talk about spoilers we're going to get into our categories as well so with that being said patrick what what is your what is your uh what is your thought on on the spoiler section you want to talk about here well it's 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 to to your point about slashers now we both love slashers this movie is really boiled down now it's boiled down for i think a lot of different reasons a like they said it during the pandemic b that's a great device to just uh isolate people and and make a contained horror thriller um if you're gonna have a slasher i think i think an entertaining slasher in my opinion it needs one thing or the other so if your slasher is going to be super boiled down and simplistic, then the kills, the killer, or the characters need to be very interesting. One of those three elements has to really work. Scream does it great. Scream does it great on two fronts. Three fronts, really. It does it all, all three. And Kevin Williamson wrote this. Great character development. Tons of it. Interesting killer. Ghostface is interesting interesting kills now i could argue that scream doesn't have the most interesting kills out of all the slashers it's not like the ones with the it's not like jason or freddy where they the kills are kind of why you're there and why you show up you're really more there for the character development so we don't have in in my opinion sick doesn't have any of those three things it doesn't have interesting kills the killers are very uninteresting like intensely uninteresting and the people you barely get to know them which is very un-Kevin Williamson. Like his track record is sort of like the the uh, emotional angsty teens and 20 year olds of the early 2000s. Like that was his strength. I was surprised to see how very surface level our main characters were. Miri and Parker, uh, Parker, who's our lead, Gideon Adlin, like it gave me shades of Hellraiser where I, I, I mean, I remember we both felt about the Hellraiser remake, like about an hour in you go, I don't, I don't know why I'm on the trip with this person. And I argue that that Hellraiser character had way more development than Parker did. Parker was very surface level. Now you could say, well, okay, you know, she's a vapid college student. Okay, but make, give me some depth, give me something to grab onto. So ultimately this didn't work for me as a slasher because it didn't tick off any of those boxes. Um, I, I'm curious, do you think it ticked off any of those boxes? Because I, I, could, I couldn't, for the love of me, find interesting person interesting kill or interesting killer um i would disagree on two of those points okay. um interesting kills i would disagree on because there was some creativity here in terms of the way the cat and mouse game was working and there were some fun chase scenes in there that worked really really well and there were some good tension in there there's some again when you're talking about an isolated si- situation where two girls are in a in a lake house by themselves and they're being hunted um there were a couple of good, interesting moments. There's a really great moment where the one girl, Mary, falls off the, the roof and literally it seems like she broke her back in the moment. Like she falls and you think she's dead. She's not actually dead. Um, yeah, and like I said, the action, I think, was pretty and, good. And they're dealing with what ultimately ends up being a compound fracture. Her bone comes through her leg, which is rather gross, which is an injury I've seen up close to personal in real mm-hmm. life. And it's not fun. Um, no. 
so that one was good i also there was a great moment um you know in the film where you know they use a uh, they use a, a electric knife to slice a, an achilles tendon which is a rather gruesome kind of a cool interesting okay. way to do it um so here's what here's what so when i say interesting kills i mean that it's bo- everything in this film is boiled down in, oh, a, yeah. in, a, in a simplistic way and that's why see here's you brought up hellraiser's a great point we brought we talked about hellraiser like these characters we just didn't care about them they did nothing to make us care about them here's the problem with when i compare this to i agree with you 100 percent but Hellraiser was all driven around like these couple of central characters where they were just like pushing them in your face for two hours, trying to make it seem like they mattered. And we could never figure out why they mattered. This film, in my opinion, doesn't really do that and doesn't need that because as weird as this sounds, the lead characters are kind of coincidental to the larger plot of what gets unraveled at the end when you find out what they did. And the whole point of like you talk about, they're just vapid college students who don't really you know realize the 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 consequences of their actions that's kind of the point and that's and that's where the whole character development thing when you're spending time with them early in the film they're out by the lake and they're talking about their boyfriends and parties and that sounds like every college student i knew in in my freshman year of college and then by sophomore and junior year we all started to grow up a little bit we all started to realize hey you can't fuck around and party five nights a week you actually need to study and and do you know and so by the time you get to like your junior year of college you're kind of like you know settled down a little bit you're not into full-on party mode and being an idiot anymore i very much got freshman year vibes from these two girls where there's just sure parker's a freshman all surface level and that's not an insult to Kevin Williamson's writing. And I'm saying this as a guy who was in college, and I know you went to college as well. Um, it felt like so many people I knew in college. And I guess that's kind of where I related to it because I was like, oh, my God, I went to college with people exactly like this who were all surface level. They were as deep as a as a mud puddle. And <laughs> and while that sounds terrible and you're like, you know, and I agree with you in general, I agree with you in principle that the character development's a huge part of it. In this case, I think the character development was making them kind of vapid, you know, almost what's what, what the word am I looking for? Like almost like, you know, uh, clueless. There's a good clueless teenagers, for lack of a better word. You know what I mean? I think in that regard, that's what he was going for. And it worked because they were. And again, that's what I felt they were. I didn't think he was trying because sometimes I feel like the one complaint I have sometimes about slashers or horror films is when they go overboard on the character development and they try to make their lead characters more than what they are and you can tell they're feeding them words and making them sound smarter than what they are make you know they add too much there's a a weird balancing act with character development where you can go too far you can go not enough this one i would agree there's not a lot of character development but at the same time i don't really think it's necessary because i think when you get to the ending and you realize why these girls are being stalked or why one girl in particular is being stalked. It's because she was a vapid, clueless teenager who didn't take responsibility for her actions. Yeah, but it just wasn't interesting. That's the problem is that yes, that's like logically like the through line makes total sense. I mean, Kevin Williamson, veteran writer. So that makes sense, but it wasn't interesting at all. In my opinion, like her story was like very, very uninteresting. And I didn't really care if she lived or died, which is kind of a cardinal sin in, in, a, in a slasher. You either really want the person to die or you really want them to be, live. I felt neither way about her. I really didn't care. And that's a 
that's to me the, the biggest the biggest sin of the movie. Here's a great example. It was a uh, what was that movie that just came out in December? Christmas, Bloody Christmas. Uh, yeah, bloody, the one with the Robo Santa. Yeah, yeah, Bloody Christmas. I think I can't remember. Yeah. So in that movie, pretty much like I want to say, oh gosh. 80 no not 80 maybe 80 maybe 70 of the 90 minutes of that movie are vapid uh um record store conversations you don't learn dick about those characters <laughs> you don't care about those characters there's very little that goes on in that movie that you give a shit about so what do they do they made the kills fucking awesome like the kills were so cool that like i me and my wife watching we were sort of getting a little bored because i think the first like 40 minutes of that movie is just people talking shit and getting drunk and you're like god that's fucking boring <laughs> but when the kills happen you go whoa like big like kills that in my opinion the kills in sick do not compare like that they're they're kills i've seen in other slashers and most of them are sort of tame in that in that respect like there's one great kill in the whole movie and i still chalk it up to the direction not necessarily the acting uh, or the the writing or the or the character development or any of that so that's that's kind of where i landed with it i was like well shit okay and and i think it sounds like you know you disagree with me on the character development okay that's fine but we both agree the killers are not interesting they don't even look interesting and i actually i put a note down at one point uh one of them walks through the door and they're clearly very small <laughs> and i was like now I see what why Damon had a problem with uh, Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger because <laughs> that guy just he doesn't look like he's going to scare anybody. But he's also in uninteresting garb. He's just in some black garb, and there's nothing there's nothing that stands out about that killer is interesting. So that's why this movie ultimately falls flat for me. Some people are going to love it, and some people are going to hey, that's a classic like right down the middle slasher. It's a little too down the middle for me. Here and again, this is you know, in terms of opinion, and obviously, you know, this is one where you know a lot of times we agree. This is one where we disagree. I think that this is a film. Well, I agree with you on the killers. They were not they, the killers didn't become interesting until you understood what they were doing, and that's the only moment they became slightly interesting because you understood their motivations, and that doesn't come until the last twenty minutes of the movie. Right. Up till then, they're not very interesting. I'll give you that. Um, where I like this movie and where I compliment this movie is it is a very simple slasher. It is, you know, it is not the most complicated plot. It is not the most overdeveloped characters. Um, and when I talk about like at the end of 2023 and I talk about my favorite films of the year, I have a hard time believing this is going to be on there because it's such a very simple easy it's a it's a paint by numbers in a lot of ways slasher film and people are going to go well, that sounds boring. It's not because they do it right, because there's a thousand versions of this movie where it's boring, doesn't get the point across, and it lasts for two hours. And yeah, I'm not going to name names. We've talked about them on this show. We've talked about them between us and text messages. Movie we watch, we're like, I know what they were trying to go for, but boy, did they take a long freaking time to get there. And it was really boring journey to get there. Um, this film is uh, 80 minutes, 83 minutes. It's a very quick, easy watch. It sticks to the point of what you're trying to do. And the middle section of the movie, 60 minutes of the movie is basically a cat and mouse game of killer going after girls. And when you boil it down to that, and it at that point, while to your point, if the kills had been more creative and they'd been a little bit more upstage, so to speak, this would have basically been 
and I <laughs> I know you're going to laugh when I say this, this would have been a Friday the 13th movie because that's what every Friday the yeah, 13th movie. No, 100%. There's, there's no But that's why I like Friday. There's well, no, Friday the yeah. 13th has two things. It has a very interesting killer. Yeah. Jason's super interesting. Right. And then the interesting kills. The, the, saying, the, like, the characters are as if, vapid yeah, as it gets. Yeah, so if you take the interesting killer out of there, and you still have the interesting kills. I get where you're going with it. I understand yeah. what you're saying. But when they boil it down to the basics of the cat and mouse game and a couple of really cool, there were a couple of, of cool, brutal moments. We'll talk about kills and gore that I enjoyed. Um, but it's just very, it's a very simple old school slasher film that doesn't, doesn't go too far. And you, could they have, could they have ratcheted this up in terms of better character development, maybe a little bit more interesting killers? Yes. But again, the reason I compliment this film is because they do keep it basic. They do keep it simple. And what they do, simply works they don't go too far now are there improvements that i could say yeah they should have done this or i wish they had done this or as you said maybe make the killers a little bit more menacing or make them a little bit more than just you know or start their story a little sooner or give it it more meat or they're just walking around with black hooded shirts on and a mask on and they're you know at least like with scream you had the the mask killer ghost face Mm -hmm. you know yes i agree that you could have done all that but at the end, like when it was over, when this film was over and it was done, my girlfriend and I watched it. We both looked at each other and we're like, that was fun. Like, it was fun. It was not, it's not going to, I'll warn you ahead of time. It's not the kind of movie you're going to call your friends and say, oh my God, my life is transformed because I watched Sick. And it's not the kind of message in a movie where you're going to be like, oh, this is the new get out. It's none of those things. It's just a fun goofy slasher film. And, and as a slasher fan, it's kind of like, you know, X came out last year. Now X was was infinitely a better film overall. I'll, oh I'll, yeah, I'll fully Very, say yeah. that. Big more. But when X came out and it was just that, it was just a slasher. It was a good slasher film. Again, far more developed. This, I'm not trying to compare the two, but mm. as a guy who loves slashers and I get irritated by the amount of the elevated horror that comes out of you like, Oh my God, Midsommar is so brilliant. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta put Midsommar on the shelf. That, that he's getting old. <laughs> um, when I hear you that, can, you know, you can call it the new men. You can, yeah, you can go. I just, sometimes I need a fun, simple slasher and that's what this was. And that's really what it boiled down to me. I, I didn't need, I, you know, could I, could it have been more? Absolutely. Absolutely. Could have been more. But for what it was, it was good enough. And and again, this isn't, I'm not saying this is a five out of five star movie and, you know, it's number one on the film for the year. And all, I'm not going that far. It's just a fun, easy watch. And sometimes I just want a fun, easy watch. I want, you know what I watched over the weekend, Beyond Sick? I watched like four of the Friday the 13th movies because they were doing the marathon for Friday the 13th on Friday. And they were on stars or whatever. And I watched like four of them and, and a couple of them I hadn't seen in years. Now we, I watched part four, which we had reviewed on the show. Great. Movie. Um, and I, I watched part four or five, six and seven in a row. And you know, I've said on the show, Friday the 13th has never been my, uh, ultimately been my jam. I am more about story. I am more about character development, which, you know, kind of is the opposite of what I'm saying about this film. But watching it, I was kind of like, you know what? These are kind of fun. Like, they're fun. Like, I don't need them necessarily yeah. be more than that. I mean, they're fun, and there's some pretty cool kills. And where, and that's, I know I'm not, I'm not comparing it to Friday the 13th, even though I kind of am, but I'm just saying it's just a fun, goofy slasher film. Um, 
and I and I enjoyed it. And that's really what it boils down to for me. It's not again, it's not gonna be my favorite movie of the year. It's not gonna be a movie that I'm gonna revisit every weekend and be like, oh man, I'm not gonna show my friends, but you've gotta watch this one. But if you're looking for there's been so many attempts at movies like this that have failed, like another one that came oh, yeah, out last year. Of- last year was a movie that came out called They Them on Peacock, which had Kevin Bacon in it. And if you remember, I messaged oh, you I about watched it, it and yeah. you didn't like it. And I didn't, I didn't care for it myself. Hated it. I wouldn't, I didn't, I didn't just dislike, I hated it. I hated that movie. It was so <laughs> bad. And they tried, they tried to insert the message. They tried to insert characters you care about. They tried to insert kills. None of it worked. Nothing in that movie worked. But it at least fun. they tried. I'm it, so but, sorry. But that's what it doesn't saying. try very hard. It tries. Like, they it, them is not a good movie. I'm, I agree. It tries because but it, it tried really it hard. It tries because it boils it down to the simplest form of what makes a slasher film a slasher film, which is a cat and mouse game of survival. That's what this film is. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put on a, on a poster, some key words that you said there for <laughs> Kevin Williamson's sick, <laughs> simple, basic, good enough. Damon Martin. <laughs> it's just, that's all it is. It's simple. It's basic. It's, it's good. Good. Good enough is not necessarily a ringing, ringing endorsement. <laughs> it's a ringing, it's a ringing endorsement for the, for the just, utter nonsense of what slasher films have become or attempts to make slasher films. I think we've had a a, a lot of good slashers lately though. Outside of a couple of good ones. And there have been a couple of good ones, but again, but I guess I, can I, can I see if I can clarify what you're trying to get at here though? Sure. Are you talking about the kind of slashers that like almost always go straight to streaming and no one talks about, because I don't think I would put Kevin Williamson in those categories of like what we used to call straight to video. No, no, no. I wouldn't go that far. I would, this, this, I'm comparing this to the early eight, 80s days of when there was a new slasher film in theaters you know when you had the prowler hit theaters you had you know happy birthday to me hit theaters you had you know movies like that every other weekend there was a slasher film i would put it in that regard not necessarily but in the new version like there are new era slashers or attempts at slashers that come out that just aren't aren't well done and they try to overthink it and this is a film that doesn't overthink itself it you sure could, don't. You could argue it's to, you argue it's to his detriment. I argue that it works because I don't need yeah. it to overthink itself. Because again, this is ultimately a cat and mouse game of survival. And in those moments, there are harrowing moments. Um, there's good tension. Uh, you know, good chase scenes. And again, this is to me no different than a Friday the Thirteenth film, with the exception of Jason isn't here. Um, and I know, and, and the know, uninteresting kills, but the kills to me, again, I disagree. I don't think the kills were that uninteresting. I thought they were solid enough. There was a couple I thought, cool I thought, moments. I we should get into the categories. Cause I do, I do have one that I think is a really good one. All right. Well, let, with, that, with that being said, let's get into the categories. Let's talk about uh best performance. Cause again, this is a very small cast. And actually when you dig into it, there's actually a couple of well-known actors in here that I was like, Oh wow. They're in this movie. Yeah. Um, who did you give best performance to? My best performance goes to Jane Adams, who plays Pamela. Um, she's she's one of the killers. Turns out the killers are a family, a a mother, a father, and a younger brother uh, of a guy who died at the hands, very careless hands of Parker. She was asymptomatic with COVID. She was at a party, a bunch of college students going to party. She's you know flirting, hanging out, kissing a bunch of dudes. One of the dudes she kissed, she gave COVID, and he died. And the family came after her. You know, she's one of these serial posters online. They tracked her down via her social media. All, all the all the pieces fit. I would never accuse this movie of like 
having logical issues because it doesn't you know kevin williamson very good at that stuff and it shows in the simplicity actually of his writing um but jane adams to me was the best performer in the bunch uh, she's a veteran of, of tv and film you've seen her in a lot of different things and you see her right there in the trailer she has a, a great little moment in the trailer that i thought really rang very genuine uh parker is trying to run from the killers and she's banging on the window and pamela's in the car and she's like where's your mask put your mask on but it, the way jane adams like delivers that really outside of the grocery store scene really brought me back to the early days of the pandemic when people would freak out if you got too near them yeah. without a mask on i was like yeah yeah jane adams knows how to sell it yeah she was really good and she actually had a really strong performance at two levels because when you first are introduced to her, you think she's just a passerby and she's kind of like at that paranoid, you know, pandemic era of like, where's your mask? You can't get in the car without your mask. And like, here's this girl who's being chased by a masked killer. And she's like, let me in lady. And she's like, no, no, you could be, you could be infected. And like mm -hmm. in that moment, you're taking, as you said, take it back to the pandemic where you're like, really, I'm about to get stabbed <laughs> to death here, but you're worried about that. Uh, so that was a good one. And then of course, when you actually discover that she's actually one of the killers, it kind of a good transformation of that character. Um, it's funny you say that because my best performance actually goes to the other side of that, which is the other killer played by her husband, which is Mark Menchaca, who plays her husband. Mark Menchaca is a, one of my favorite character actors out there. He was in a show called Ozark. In the mm -hmm. first season of Ozark, incredible. Actually, he just, he just recently popped in the news again. I'll say congratulations because I know he's a regular listener of this podcast. Uh, Hi, Mark. He, he just recently married Alina Hetty, who, of course, you know, is Cersei from Game of Thrones. They got married just cool. recently. That's just uh, cool as fucking yeah, ice. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a really good character actor. Actually, a really good singer, too. He actually has a really oh, good no singer. Shit. Yeah, he, he does plays acoustic guitar. Really good singer. Um, but I really enjoyed him in this role. He's good menacing and and what I liked about his performance was when you actually discover the plot of how these parents were basically contract contact tracing. That was such a huge part of the early part of the pandemic, right? Like there was actually, I remember when I was getting ready to travel for the first time, there was an app that you could log into and it would notify you if like, let's say I went to the, let's say I went to the bookstore, I went to Barnes and Nobles and I was there at two o'clock on Tuesday. There was an app that someone had created that if you left there and someone else from there had tested positive for COVID and reported it, it would notify you to say you were in a you were in a location where five people just tested positive, and it would give you an idea that you may be positive for COVID. Like it was contact. It was a it was a weirdly intrusive, but like understanding like people were trying to like deal the the contact tracing thing. And when they talked about it, like you know they discovered through and she brought up Erlin. You mentioned like it all makes sense. All the puzzle pieces come together. But the way he describes it and saying, like, you know, the way that she was so flippant with her kissing guys at this party and not really caring and whatever. And because she brings it up so many times in the film, Parker says, I'm not sick. You're asymptomatic. And his the way that he switches is like a menacing killer to a just an enraged father really made sense in that role and i thought he did a really really good job and again he's not in the film for a lot he's in the last like 20 minutes but i thought yeah. he did a really good job of playing it because i don't have kids you do but i can only imagine the links you would go to to avenge your child under whatever circumstances and this guy this guy had that like i'm a dad but i i want revenge and he kind of had that like little bit of crazy in his eyes and i, and I enjoyed that about yeah. his performance I totally related to Mark uh, Manchaka's character because I thought, I think if, if anybody does anything to my boys, like 
I am going full slasher on them. Yeah. Like, there's no question about it. Like, and I have a deep pool to to uh, <laughs> to dive in and 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 pull from. You know what I mean? Like, I've got a lot of interesting kills stored in the database. So don't fuck with me, all right? <laughs> but to that point, we talk about the simplicity movie. What I again using the pandemic, they actually used it in a way that worked out in the end. That's the, the best I, part. I think that's the, the actually the most clever use of the pandemic in the entire thing. Yeah, their son died because he made out with a girl at a party a girl who was positive for covid she didn't think anything of it and he ended up dying and and that was and that i was like when they uh, when they revealed that i was like oh damn that was clever like that was a clever twist in the in the plot of this movie because up to that point you're just seeing girls getting chased across a lake house by two by a couple of mass killers you don't know why like you have no idea mm-hmm. why and there's an opening scene in this film where the guy at the grocery store goes back to his dorm room or his dorm apartment whatever you want to call it and he ends up getting killed you have no idea why he gets killed you find out at the end that he was the guy who they believe had covid passed it to parker and then parker passed it to their son and they mm-hmm. did all this and also the brilliance that i enjoyed about this film the one thing i really enjoyed about this film was they use social media to track all these people down because people post their entire lives oh, on yeah. social media without regard of like the i don't say the harm i'm just saying like without the the recourse that could come from that so that's all they did they tracked the guy that she made out with that had covid then she tracked her to their son and that's how they got like the you know the the seven the six degrees of kevin bacon to their son's killer and that's what that's who they killed the movie you throw kevin bacon in this movie now you have my attention <laughs> well they did that with they them and that didn't work out too well <laughs> that's why i watched they them okay listen but they tried they did they tried they did uh let's <laughs> talk about best gore because again this is a slasher film there is some gore so what was the best gore in this film um i had to give it to uh and there's there's actually a couple of moments that are that are that are worth talking about but i just I love a good throat slash and it's very classic slasher. Listen, you and I grew up on watching people get their throats slashed. It's a very, I have a feeling like if we saw someone get their throat slashed in person, we'd be like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that before. Like we've (laughs) just seen it so many damn times at this point in our lives that it doesn't affect affect us the way it is. So the way it should. Uh, So I I appreciate it. I think it it was a good look. I think it was... um, it was that it was that first guy. I can't yeah, remember yeah, first name. guy. Your first guy in the film. Yeah, yeah, the first guy they tracked down. They did. There's a great turn to camera again. The direction I thought in this movie was was the highlight of the movie. But he turns just to camera and they and they pull the knife across his throat and it opens up and the blood comes out. Very classic slasher, but with modern technology, it looked clean as hell. I was like, you know, that's a really solid looking throat slash for a movie that's a little light on gore. It was a, it was also an effective enough scare because it was very classic Kevin Williamson opening with a kill, right? Like, you know, very Scream-esque with a, a character getting killed in the beginning. And what I enjoyed about it was is that it came back around as to why. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't yeah, a point. Yeah, it all mattered. Listen. Yeah, it all mattered. And also, the one thing I like about this, when you talk about the killers, the killers weren't that interesting. I would agree in regards to that part. But what I did like, and this is this was the realism of that, kind of like what they did with Scream, is they did make these people seem superhuman. You know what I mean? Like, the, the killers got beat up at points. Like, you know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. not these superhuman. It felt like Scream and a then, lot. And then when you, when you discover it's a mom and dad and a, and a son, like, they're not these, like, supernatural, you know, they're not 
not like some, you know, they're not a, a family of bodybuilders or anything. They're just three <laughs> normal people looking for a real. So I you just gave me an idea for a horror film. I kind man. of enjoyed that because sometimes that's, again, me pointing out the fault of bad slasher movies. And sometimes they make these people like, I'm not even going on the supernatural tip. They just make them seem like they can't be hurt. And it's like, you get hit with a a glass vase or yeah. something, you're going to get hurt, you know? And they did, they actually played that for real in this movie. I enjoyed that. Um, for me, the best gore, and I was almost going to go best kill for this one as well, because it was my favorite, but technically it wasn't a kill. My best gore was in a moment when Parker gets an upper hand on one of the killers, which at the moment we don't know there's multiple killers. We only see one at, at certain moments. We line We later find out there's three, but in the moment she gets the upper hand on one of the killers who ends up being the other son of this couple. And she grabs what I think is like a coffee pot or a, or a mixer. I can't really tell what it is. Some sort of yeah, like a big mixing some bowl sort or some of, shit, some sort of kitchen appliance. And she just smashes the shit out of this dude's head and turns his face into mush. And when they pan down, just like, Ugh. now the problem was, is that he actually didn't die. He lived and then died a few seconds later when the other girl, Miri, ends up stabbing him in the neck. It's kind of a cool little just like pinprick and he dies from that. I was kind of like, how does this dude survive? Just turned his face into mush. But the gore was pretty cool because what I enjoyed about that moment was generally in these kind of slashers, the character will hit the other person like one time. Oh, it's over. No, 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 no. Parker smashed the shit out of this dude's face with like 30 smashes of this kitchen appliance. I enjoyed that because in, in the moment that should be more real because one, one hit ain't going to do the job. I enjoyed that. She just completely turned his face. It looked like she just stepped on a tomato is what it looked like. afterwards. <laughs> That's yeah, like a tomato with googly eyes. Like yeah. it looked like she just smashed on one of those. Yeah. I mean, there was a, it had, it had a couple of moments. The, the, the compound fracture you talked about. That's always a good one. It's yeah. a, like it's something about that. And it's, we talked about throat slashing, like just seeing a broken leg gets me more than most things. <laughs> Well, that's like what, just a proper broken leg is like, eh. well, that's what I said earlier. Like it wasn't necessarily good gore and it wasn't necessarily a kill, but the moment when she uses the electric knife to slice the Achilles yeah. tendon and again, you see the blood kind of spray out, but like there's something so it, like you talk about compound fractures. People, it's happened in other movies too, where they slash the Achilles tendon. Every time it happens, it makes me cringe. Cause I know how bad, like, you know how bad it hurts yeah. when you like cut the back of your ankle. And oh my God, when they do that with the electric knife, like with the carving knife, like what you use for a turkey. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just, it's a good, but again, it's not a kill and there's really not great gore, but it's a good, effective, good, effective moment in the film. Effective enough. Uh, let's talk about best kill. What was the best kill in, uh, in sick? Uh, my best kill, uh, came when, uh, Parker and Mary kill the dad who's coming after them. Um, but again, it comes down to, uh, to the director again. What's his name? Uh, John, Himes. John, John Himes. It comes down to John Himes direction because it, this is a very action heavy movie in those moments in the moments where they're struggling with the killers. And it's just a great shot. It's a really great shot. They're up on the second story and they're fighting with him and they're trying to they're trying to beat him. And they they push him over the edge of the back, uh, the, 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 the the railing and he goes flipping down and he lands on the antlers, you know, very, very uh, Lost Boys ending, very David's ending of Lost Boys in that respect. But it was just cleverly shot. Like, I, I think that's what I appreciate about it. It wasn't like the greatest kill. It was the execution from the camera team. So, you know, like I'm, I, was, I was, you know, shout out to the to the cinematographer and his camera crew for pulling that one off. I know that was a hard shot to get and it looked great. 
what I enjoyed about that shot also was because it, you you bring this up a lot when we talk about plot devices. When you introduce something in the film, you better go back and use it, right? Like if you if you show us something weird in your house and you're like, oh, look at what my dad has, you better yeah. use that thing. And early in the film, you see this giant moose head or deer head or whatever it is you know the mounted head and then later in the film dj the, the the one guy the other character we really haven't talked about who comes to try to convince parker to be her her, her boyfriend he's kind of like the you know he's been you know shoved right right deep into the friend zone and uh <laughs> he shows up there and tries to like convince her that he's like the perfect guy to be a boyfriend when he's running from the slasher he throws the deer head like he tries to like you know tries to throw off the killer by putting obstacles in his way and they come back and that's how the deer head ended up on the ground. And so they use that plot device. So I enjoyed that. I, I remembered you in that moment, Patrick, where you say, if you introduce something, you better damn well come back to it. And they did. They used that as a plot device. He tried to throw it, didn't work, but then it was laying on the ground face up. And then the dad fell onto it and the horns impaled him. Yeah. Just a great, just a great one moment. One of the, one of the top moments of the movie for yeah. sure. I was like, okay, I like that. Yeah. So that was good. Uh, my favorite, I, I don't know what I, apparently I need to see a psychiatrist or something, but one <laughs> yes, of my, do. one of my favorite, it's both favorite and least favorite kills in any movie. What I have a, like, I don't have a lot of fears in terms of like, you know, like I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of heights, things like that. But one thing that's always terrified me because I know how horrific it would be. And I'm not making light of this. I mean, dead serious. One of the things that's always horrified me is the idea of burning, being burned alive. Cause I've oh, known yeah. people and that, that, that terrifies me like that. I, I think of a million ways you could die. That's the one I'd be like, that's the one I will never sign up for. Like that's the one that would, that's too much, but I have a weird fascination with people being burned alive in movies. I can't explain. Like I said, this is a, when I got to the end of once upon a time in Hollywood, when Rick Dalton grabs a flamethrower and torches, uh, uh, torches the character from the Manson family in the pool. Awesome. And then that same girl, um, um, what's her name? Um, oh gosh. Yeah. I know yeah, you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, she ends up getting set on fire in scream five. Also That's same right. thing. She, yeah. really, she has a really her bad thing is she gets set on fire. She has a bad track record with fire. The end of the movie, the, the mother who, who survives to the very end, they end up setting her on fire with gas and she runs out in the street and dies in front of the cops who finally show up to rescue the day. I just like that kill. It's a very classic kill, but man, being burned alive is the one I'm terrified of it, but it's a really effective kill when they do it right. And I thought they did it well in that moment because again, the mother wasn't dead. She comes back for one last good scare as Kevin Williamson has always warned you. They always come back for one more scare. She did. She got set on fire for her trouble. <laughs> The the setup for that fire walk was a little clunky, but uh, it was a good fire walk. And I don't, I couldn't quite tell. I didn't go back and look at it again. It looked like it might have been CG, but it, if it was, it was really well done uh, because it, it takes it, it's like a, a reverse tracking shot of following her. She's running down the middle of the road on fire, and then eventually collapses. And if you know anything about fire stunts. The fire stunt is over when the person falls over and you'll almost see they almost always leave it in the movie like yeah. you see the moment where the stunt person falls over that's their signal to say put me out it's time to put the fire out I've been I've been in I've been on fire long enough and then the guys rush they rush in and they they extinguish them. This one, when they, when, when whoever's doing the stunt or if it's CG they fall over and they stay there for at least a couple of moments which I know by that point your fire extinguisher would have come in. 
you know, Kevin Williamson and, and company are, are very familiar with slashers. Maybe they were like, let's pull this one off where, where they lay there for a second more because we always cut away the minute they fall. Um, so I thought that was, I thought that part of it was really cool. Yeah, I enjoy. And also to your point, I if it was CGI, it was great because usually yeah, when they well just, done if it was. CGI, CGI fire is probably one of the hardest things to do right because I've seen really bad CGI fire in really high, like high level productions. I mm-hmm. don't know what it is about fire and CGI. It's just hard to do right. Um, if they did it in this film, they did it really well. Although in my gut, in my gut, I gotta believe it's practical effects because this is a pretty. I don't think this is a big budget movie or anything. Um, if they did effects, I I would be shocked because it did look good. Like it looked legitimate. And yeah. generally, when I see that, I'm like, they had to have a stunt performer do that because CGI oh, yeah, for sure. bad CGI fire looks so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it does it's not it's not you don't want your bad cgi fire guaranteed yeah. but if you have a small I, bu- I if, you have a, if you have a small budget and you can't afford good cgi fire just don't do it <laughs> just don't <laughs> don't just leave uh, fire out rewrite yeah. let's talk about a bit of a rewrite of the living dead and not necessarily with this film but you and i have been self-admitted slasher fans uh, that's the genre that got both of us into film into horror films you with Friday the 13th, me with Nightmare on Elm Street, but then broadened our horizons, whether we're talking about Halloween or we're talking about My Bloody Valentine or any of the other dozens of horror films out there that are slasher films that you and I love. I thought X last year did a really, really solid job of reinventing the slasher. But Patrick, how do we reinvent the slasher for 2023? What are we missing here to create a good slasher for this era? Well, I almost want to approach it from a different angle, where as opposed to I, I, what what should be done, I want to point out what I think is being done right out there. Uh, one is we're creating new iconic killers. Sick doesn't do that, but um, Terrifier does it. Megan did it. These are these are new slashers. These are new takes. You got to you got to be enamored with the killer, which is absolutely nothing new, by the way. And if anything. It's sort of like the the Kevin Williamson era of slashers might have been the only era where I was like, yeah, I don't outside of Ghostface, which is an idea more than an actual killer outside of Ghostface, the Kevin Williamson era. Like, I don't I I don't find the killers from those movies like terribly memorable that most of them. So I see that we're moving in the right direction with reinventing slashers by reminding ourselves that it does take a charismatic killer in one way, shape or form to make a slasher interesting. That's why we want to come back to it. Like, I don't care about a sick two. Sick two is not going to really excite me. Uh, nobody in there interested me that much. Um, but I think, and it, that's that's kind of where I see things are going in the right direction, which is we're actually taking a page out of the past and making sure that our killers are interesting. That keeps people on the hook for multiple movies. Um, another thing I think we got to do is I think we do need to retire one element of slashers and we've actually been talking about this lately and that is illogical main characters main characters who make really bad choices now it is a staple of horror to make a bad choice that's true but it's and and i can forgive small bad choices i even think this movie makes a couple of big bad choices that's my opinion but i digress you make a couple of small bad choices because that's what gets us in but once we make the small bad choices make all the good choices you can and then bump up against the fact that all your good choices didn't matter. 
all the good choices you made still didn't matter and the killer is still a step ahead of you that makes it scary so we got an interesting killer and we got a smart protagonist that does all the right things and is still one step behind the killer the whole time i think that's how you keep slashers fresh I agree to I agree for the most part. I definitely agree with the interesting killer part, especially if you're looking for a franchise, because that's the staple of slasher as a franchise, right? Like sick oh, yeah. is not going to be a franchise. Like I agree with you. Like if they made a sequel, I would know the plot. It would be pointless. And I don't think this is a film you can sequelize to be honest. Um, and maybe they try it and it probably won't work. Um, but for what it is for a single movie, it works. I just don't think you can redo it. Um, I agree though with the interesting killer part when you talk about Megan, you talk about Art the Clown from Terrifier, they've made iconic, new iconic slashers that are part of a franchise. And I agree that is a, that is a staple and they did it, you know, with uh, Victor Crowley in the hatchet series, they've done it with other films and there are versions of that and it, and it can be done. Um, and I agree, that's a great way to do it. And in a way they did that in X with Pearl, like Pearl was in yeah. X and then she had a prequel in Pearl. We don't know what's going to be going on with Maxine, the, the seek the sequel to that film and how they're going to tie that back into the other films outside of Mia Goth's character, but they've created a world, you know, and that's, I think to a larger point, we talk about interesting killer. I think it's creating an interesting world, right? Where that all exists. And if you're going to do sequels and things like that. So I agree. Like there. Scream is kind of like that. Cause it's not the same killer every time. Yeah. It is a different killer. When you talk about smart choices, I think there's a balancing act. And what I say by that is this, I think scream is a great example of characters making a lot of smart choices and then making a couple of dumb ones that get them caught up in bad situations. But I enjoy that because what scream did better and, and really introduced when it came out was the idea that our characters are horror movie fans. Like Randy and scream knows there you go. Don't ever say I'll be back. Cause you won't be back. That whole thing. Like they, they introduced that kind of meta world in the slasher and throughout those, all those movies, every character in those movies, you know, there's certain characters who feel like they should be ahead of the killer, right? Yet the killer stays one step ahead of them. I enjoy that. I really do enjoy that. When you talk about bad choices, though, because bad choices are a staple of horror movies, when you, when you do that, it's frustrating, but it can also create a really interesting movie. And I know 110% the movie you're thinking about with bad choices is Barbarian. Oh, that's, I mean, it's the king of bad choices. Um... But I think in a way, like, because bad choices are, it's like that commercial I brought up on the show before, that Geico commercial with the whole, the mm -hmm. teenagers running from the thing. And they're like, they're like, we should go in there. No, we should, why don't we just stay behind the wall of chainsaws? And then someone says, why don't we just go to the running car? And the girl goes, are you crazy? <laughs> like, that's the staple of slashers, right? Like, they make the worst decisions. They say it and scream. The girl's running up the stairs instead of running out the front door. But when the killer actually comes to chase Sydney Prescott, what is she? you do she runs upstairs it's instinctual right like it's just you're in the moment so i appreciate that they tackle that so i agree with you in the right choice i think you've got to be careful though in certain slash you can't make your characters too smart or you'll wonder why they didn't outsmart the killer so i think there's a balancing act with that and that's why i say like they can make small bad choices but not the big ones i don't think the big ones are working anymore in my opinion i i don't think making the big bad choices where it's like wow that just makes no sense especially in a modern set uh uh slasher some of those choices just just they just they look outdated it just doesn't look it looks like it doesn't make sense 
So that's why I'm like, oh, okay, we can kind of get rid of that. Now with Scream, the great thing about Scream, and it kind of always has done this, is that you know that the killer is is someone close to the protagonist, close enough. So you know that's how they're one step ahead. Yeah. So 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 I think that's 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 very exclusive to Scream. But I think if, I think if we get into um, smarter protagonists that do make one, all you need is one dumb choice. Like here's a great example: Speak No Evil. Speak No Evil. The dumb choice was to go back for the teddy bear. <laughs> they should have never gone back for the teddy bear. By the way, the teddy bear wasn't even in the house. It was st- it was under the seat in the car. Yeah. But if the, they just made one dumb choice, it made sense why they did it. They go, well, it's our daughter's only, you know, it's a very special teddy bear that she's always wanted. If they would have just let it be because they knew something was wrong. Yeah. But that's not the kind of people they were. They were the kind of, they were good, polite, good hearted people. So they went back for the teddy bear. That was their one big mistake. And I, I go, okay, that, that makes sense. But if you, if you have like categorically idiotic moves <laughs> by otherwise seemingly smart characters, it it's not going to it's not going to work on a long term level. You just go something's really off about this. Yeah. Um the other the, my my suggestion with how to differentiate or make a modern slasher, make a better modern slasher and I and I think this is really what what makes terrifier a great example of this and you can say with megan as well and it's not just about the 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 killers being interesting it's about differentiating yourself from other slasher films yes um where i like because my compliment to sick while it is very basic and i I joke and you kind of joke me and say it's good (laughs) enough they use the pandemic as a device that works to the plot right like the why are they going after these girls because they did the contact tracing and the girl the girls are responsible or they believe the girls are responsible or the girl is responsible for their son's death they used it as a plot device right that's to me what differentiates this movie they didn't just use COVID 19 as a setting they use it as actual plot device and i enjoyed that that's what separated this from other pandemic era movies or movies that introduced the pandemic they actually used it as a plot device for the for why it happened, why it's having this character and the resolution. And that's where I'm getting at with differentiating yourself. With Terrifier 2, Terrifier 2 is the is in the world's most complicated plot. For a guy that comes on here, you know, on 9 out of 10 podcasts and screams about story story story, that's not the most complicated story in the world. But where they differentiated themselves was with interesting enough characters, and I'm not saying they're the deepest characters, but interesting enough characters, and then a really, truly compelling killer, and then the truly awful, gruesome kills. That's what separates Terrifier and Terrifier 2, is they are just bonkers, to-the-wall kills. And it's not for the faint of heart, right? And then they do in the second one, especially, which is why the second one, in my opinion, is superior to the first one, is they actually do introduce an interesting heroine in that film, like an interesting protagonist in in that film. But differentiate yourself. That's the key. Differentiate yourself. And what and I know that sounds like such a broad statement, but there's a million versions of X. There's a million versions of Terrifier. There's a million versions of Megan that they try and fail miserably to actually create an interesting different story. And, and the, Megan is not the first movie about AI and an AI not, killer. Not the first a, killer a, robot. A, a, yeah. Not, yeah. But how do they differentiate it? Well, they made a child AI. And not mm-hmm. Chucky, like a child AI the same size as a kid. They 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 created a plot device in that film 
to make it different than another killer doll or another AI robot or, you know, whatever they differentiate. Megan also has a great personality, like a, yeah. like a genuinely interesting personality. Yeah. So that's how they differentiate it with art, the clown and terrifier. We talked about the gruesome kills, the iconic look to him. All So differentiate yourself. Diff- Sweet no evil is not really a slasher film, but no. when you talk about the plot device, like make it make sense. Make it and make it more if you're if you like when you talk about the simplicity of sick, ultimately, it's a it's a revenge film is what it comes down to. Yeah. It's a revenge film. It's a it's a set of parents trying to avenge their son's death. Right. Like that's as simple as it comes. But there is a plot device involved in that, which is the whole COVID-19 pandemic. He got sick from a girl he kissed who was very flippantly just kissing guys at a party and you know in a way they're slut shaming they're you know there's a lot of things going on with why they're doing this right and they're putting the blame on her they put no blame on their son right like that goes back to the moral cause of this movie they're going they're not blaming him for doing this they're blaming her for doing this but again they're using that as a a plot device and that's how it's differentiating that's what makes it a different COVID-19 kind of film um differentiate yourself in any way, shape, or form, make it something that's different than what you've already seen on film a thousand times. Don't just make yourself another hockey mask style killer. Why do we care? We've already seen that movie. You know what I mean? Don't. That's where that's where night not to go back and, and like rehash our, our review on the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, but they tried to remake the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, but then they tried to go too far. They tried to introduce all these weird elements and backstory and all these like little things. They tried to differentiate themselves and it didn't work. None of it worked. Differentiate yourselves in a way that works, whether it's art, the clown, whether it's a child AI, whether it's, you know, a plot device like the COVID-19 pandemic being why the killer is seeking to kill somebody. Differentiate yourself in a way that sets you apart from every other film that's going to land in theaters or land on demand. Don't be simple. Don't be basic. Don't be good enough. I couldn't agree more, Damon. Listen to you. No, being simple and being good enough is 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 because they do use what I just said. They use a plot device that actually works and I, differentiates it from other slasher films. I I think I I don't I don't necessarily agree there. I I, I mean I think they just used it, but they didn't make it interesting. It, it's it's used, sure. But it's not used very interestingly, you know, like you can use a baton as a, a back scratcher. It's more interesting if you twirl it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's that's my problem with with sick. If they would have made those killers or or the girls super interesting, one of the two things they would have had me. That, that's all they needed. They just didn't go either way for me. The, I, the, the killers weren't interesting and she wasn't uh, the, our, our Parker wasn't interesting. And poor Mary, Mary is pretty much just in the background just just fodder, you know, just, just, but she was there to save the day. So unfortunately on, on those aspects, the killer, the, the protagonist, neither were interesting. So it does, it, even though the plot device made sense, it doesn't make it good. And I disagree. I think it was actually good and well done and made sense when it all came together, because when you watch this film, and you see it all come together when you're when you're in the moment and you see the beginning of the film and you see these girls going to the lake house you're kind of curious why this is happening and that's a big part of you know a lot of slashers why is this happening to me right happens in my bloody valentine happens a lot of the great slashers why is this happening why is the killer coming after us happened in scream we didn't know for the longest time why somebody was coming after sydney prescott they didn't reveal that until the very end when billy loomis finally tells her why he started this whole plot against sydney prescott um 
in this film, it's kind of the same way. When you finally get it to the point of the unraveling of why they're going after her and also why it's set during the COVID-19 pandemic, it all makes sense. And that's why I say it all kind of all the pieces come together. And I really enjoyed that little twist at the end. It wasn't overly complicated. They didn't try to make it like there's again, there's a version of this film where they overcomplicate the plot and it gets really convoluted and stupid. Um, but they just did it. They use social media to track down the girl, the, the girl who kissed their son who gave him COVID. They proved that she had COVID. They did that. They tested her and said, you're asymptomatic. You have it. And you gave it to our son. And he died three days ago or whatever it was, how many days ago it was. And they used it as a plot device. And so that's where I said they differentiated themselves. Could there have been better parts? Sure. Could there have been better killers? Sure. Could there have been more character development? Sure. But overall, for what I said, simple, effective, and good enough, it works. Because I don't need this to be an Oscar. I don't need this to be an Oscar level slasher. I don't need this to be X, which was my number two film of 2022. Um, it's just an effective enough slasher. Because again, there's a million versions of this same movie that don't work, and they get it completely wrong. Yeah, I just, I just think it wasn't that interesting. Ultimately, like whether whether all those things are in place. It still it still didn't equal an interesting movie for me. But going back to the last thing I said about the 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 slasher, whatever it is you're doing, differentiate yourself in a way that doesn't make you like every other slasher. Right. X, don't X, do the scream ending. X did that. X did that. X <laughs> don't what do you don't do the scream ending. Listen. To you. Yeah. Hey, sick, sick. Don't do the scream ending. Um, oh wait, you did it. Uh, who wrote Scream? I'm trying to remember who. Oh, Kevin Williamson. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that somebody who did the Scream ending would do the Scream ending again in a whole other movie. <laughs> um, you, you, you David, do. So, David, no. I'm so glad we have YouTube now because like, you can no, see no, David no, I'm, irritated. I'm, no, no, I'm saying you do. You do realize that like killers killing people and then revealing why they're killing you is kind of a, a like kind of a point of a lot of, of a horror films. You do realize. Sure. That, right? No. Like, no. Totally. It just I. I just, this is where we're ultimately going to disagree, where it doesn't matter how this way or that. I just didn't find it interesting. You did. I didn't. I yeah. just went, well, but okay. I, say, I see. Because I, I didn't back, say everything's logical. Like, yeah. I didn't go, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. I go, no, everything lines up. This is just not interesting. Yeah. And I disagree. I thought it was interesting. But also to my larger point about slasher films, when I say differentiate yourself, differentiate yourself in a way that, that makes it cohesive, makes it make sense. And and makes it a, a plot device that works, whether that is the interesting killer, whether that is the interesting kills, whether that is the interesting plot twist, make it something that differentiates yourself. And this film used COVID-19 in a way that actually made sense. X used slashers and used a set of a porn film, of all things. Uh, yeah, great to actually setting, execute, great kills, execute great uh, characters, execute great character a, development, execute an interesting plot device. Um terrifier 2 it's not the deepest plot in the world it's not the deepest characters in the world but they use the, the killer and the kills to really sell the story so again that's my point and and while i do agree with your 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 holy triumvirate of what makes a great slasher film um there are there are plenty of elements of other films that, that you know hit one of three or two or three or none of three and they still work i think it's a I think it's the slasher. I think the problem is with slashers and this happened in the eighties. And I think we both agree on this is that when Halloween worked and then Friday, the 13th worked, everyone just, Oh, sure. You know, copied that formula. Never know. She turned it on, turned it on its head because they went to a different device, a supernatural 
you know, dream killer kind of device. They went to that. But then again, you turn out another thousand that are so generic and whatever. And there's some well done ones in there. Like I said, my bloody Valentine is one of my favorite 80 slashers. It's not the most complicated plot in the world. Um, it's not my, one of my favorites of all time. Friday the 13th part seven, the new blood, not the greatest movie. <laughs> Like, not really, not like, not very good, not the most interesting, <laughs> very interesting killer, very interesting protagonist, but, uh, but as a movie, not very good. Sometimes I saw this on Twitter today and I was like, wow, this is like, I love this, this is genius. Uh, I, and I'm paraphrasing, but they were basically like, you don't always have to defend something as good. You can just defend it as you really fucking liked it. Yeah. Like that's a valid way to talk about movies. And yeah. I want to encourage that more and more and more where the discussion doesn't need to be, was it good or was it bad? It's like, no, here's why I liked it. And here's why I didn't that, which is, I feel like we're successful at that. Like that's something that I think I don't even consider you and I reviewers necessarily. I think we're two like hardcore fans who love talking about why something does or doesn't work for us as opposed to going, here's why you should like it. Here's why it's correct. Here's why it's right. I don't even worry about any of that stuff. I go, here's why it really worked for me or here's why I really didn't. And that's it. And like, and you say it at the end of every one of these, you always tell people, go out there, see it for yourself, check it out, decide, see what you think and let us know, because that's the way we really should be playing the discourse when it comes to talk about movies. Absolutely. hundred percent agree because art is not definitive what you i sometimes joke, it ain't even art sometimes i joke i joke dog shit, but i love it anyway i joke and i use midsummer as my beating post a lot on this show <laughs> but i know people i respect and people i have a ton of respect for love that movie and they think it's brilliant and they i had one friend who called it the best movie he's seen in 20 years I completely disagree, but I agree with, and again, I mean, look at a movie, this is not a horror movie, but my favorite film of 2022 was a film called Babylon. Critics critics have shit all over that film. I mean, they're like, it's not gotten good reviews. uh, It's not been, it's, it's long. It's blah, blah, blah. I've heard a million critics say it's, it's this, it's that. I don't like it. I loved it. For me, I loved it. I don't know if you'll love it. I'll tell you, I'll recommend you to watch it because I loved it. And here's why I loved it. But if you don't love it, that's fine. Um, and there's going to be a lot of people who are going to disagree. I, like I said, I read reviews for X. I read reviews for Terrifier. I read reviews for I read reviews for Speak No Evil that said this was a dumb movie and they didn't get it. And they didn't like it. That's okay. That person should get their reviewer card taken away. I, That's my that, opinion. What I say though is like art is not art is not subjective. You know, it's, it's subjective. It's it's not black or white. You know what I mean? It, there's shades of gray with every bit of art and. What you find, lo- what you love, and what I hate doesn't necessarily mean someone else is going to love or hate it. So, yeah, you're right. Even with Sick or any other movie review on here, we give our opinion, and we're telling you why we like or dislike a movie or what worked for us, what didn't work for us. But as I always say, go judge for yourself. Judge for yourself. That's the, And, again, you might agree totally with Patrick and say, man, Patrick, you were 100% right. Or you might say, Damon, I know what you're talking about, and you were right, and Patrick was wrong. That's fine. We disagree on this one. Guess what? We agree on a lot of films. We disagree Ooh. on, you know. I, I'm encouraging someone out there to make a Twitter poll. By the way, you have enough followers to make an interesting Twitter poll. Jump, put a Twitter poll on and go, who was right about sick, Damon or Patrick? <laughs> and I just want to see what it does. I don't even care. I don't care what the, the outcome is. I just want to see what people think about that. I have a feeling I know which way it would sway, judging by the reviews I've seen. Uh, mm. Yeah, a lot of people like this movie, Patrick. I think you. Might a lot be of the, people like it, but 
but I'm the most right person there ever I think, was. I think, I think you might. I think you might be in the minority on this one, there, Patrick. Right? I might, and, and I'm on the. Actually, I find myself on the minority in a lot of in a lot of ways. I'm not a contrarian, not at all. I give everything a fair shake. I really do. But I have a type. I have a, a like. I definitely have a, a standard for movies that, um, except for like you know the outliers, like a Friday Thirteen Seven. That's not a good movie on most levels. On a couple of levels, it works, but most levels, it doesn't. Doesn't matter. I still like it, and that's what I want for everybody. I want everybody to go out and go. You know what? This movie not that great, but I loved it. Yeah. Well, you liked Men, so I mean, I guess there's you know some you know everyone's got their own. Everyone's got their everyone's got their own problems. I uh, liked it. Let's uh, let's close out with our last category. As always, Patrick, is it scary? And I'll go first because I know your answer. Uh, <laughs> Is it is it scary? I, here's why I say it's scary in a, in a way is because there's good tension in this movie, and that's what I like. The tension in this movie in the cat and mouse chase scenes, which make up two-thirds of the movie. Everything else we've talked about, the plot devices and the COVID-19 pandemic stuff and everything else, most of that doesn't even matter because it's just two girls being chased by killers. That's the biggest part of this movie. That's two-thirds of the movie. You you could ignore a lot of the other parts of this movie and just enjoy that part of it. And there are good tension-filled moments. It's a cat-and-mouse game. And, and like any good cat-and-mouse slasher, there's you know moments where the girls get away. There's moments where they don't get away. Um, and that works for me. Is it the scariest film? Is it filled with jump scares? And they, no, it's not that. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend it is. But it's good tension. And so in that regard, it's not scary, but there's good tension. So I'd say it's scary in that regard. Yeah. And is it scary? I'm going to, I'm going to strictly, uh, uh, rank it against and compare it against other slashers. Cause I think that genre needs to deliver certain things. I'm going to say, no, it's not scary. I don't think it delivers on thrills or chills or, or even great kills necessarily. So for me, it's not scary, but that probably came as no surprise to you. As I said, I knew your answer before you even said it. Uh, Sick is available right now on Peacock. Uh, as we always say, go check it out for yourself. See what you think. Uh, you know, it's, it is Kevin Williamson, the writer from Scream. So go check it out. It's a very short movie, 83 minutes. You can get through it pretty quickly. So go check it out. It's on Peacock. Of course, we got a lot of other new movies coming out in the near future. We will review and probably agree or disagree on because we got one big one coming up in a couple of weeks called Infinity Pool from Brandon Cronenberg. And I have a feeling that's going to be a very divisive, uh, movie. Uh, depending on uh, very, it seems it seems very much in Patrick's wheelhouse and not so much in mine. So we will see how that one. We might be having the opposite conversation with that movie. Uh, <laughs> we might. We will, we will see how that goes. Uh, we also have uh, Knock at the Cabin, the new M Night Shyamalan movie, which Looking you and I you it. and I have both agreed we are big M Night Shyamalan film film yes. fans. Uh, so that's coming up. So stay tuned for that. As always, we appreciate everyone tuning in. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon. Uh, and of course, now we are on YouTube. Yes. Go search YouTube.com at Rewind of the Living Dead and you will find us over there. Every new episode will be uploaded and we will soon be uploading past episodes as well. So go to YouTube, subscribe to the podcast and look forward to this week to week on the podcast. So we appreciate everyone that continues to support us over there and subscribe to our new YouTube channel. If you have questions, comments, movies you'd like us to review, if you want to tell Patrick why he's so wrong about sick, you can send us messages uh, through email at rotlivingdead at gmail.com. That's rot. 
livingdead at gmail.com. You can also message us on any of our own, uh, any of our uh, social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just search Rewind of the Living Dead. You'll find us over there. We are Rewind of Living Dead uh, or Rewind of Dead on every social media platform, depending on spacing. Rewind of Dead is uh, is over on Twitter because we only have so many characters to work with. Uh, Rewind of Living Dead or Rewind of the Living Dead on Facebook and or Instagram. And you can also message us on our own personal social media platforms. I am at Damon Martin and you are? At Director Patrick. And we want to say a big thank you as always to everyone that tunes into the show. We'll be back with a new episode of Rewind of the Living Dead next week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Subscribe and smash that like. <laughs>